Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning, this last Sunday of 2019. I want to welcome you. My name is Mike Wolmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us today. So again, I want to welcome you to Relevant Faith this final Sunday of the year. In fact, the final Sunday of the decade. We are turning into a new decade on January 1st, and I don't know about you, but 2019 has been an absolutely amazing year for me personally. I have, it's not because it was perfect, because it was far from perfect. There was a lot of struggles. It perhaps was one of my most challenging years in my health-wise, because I experienced the health issues that I, that I hadn't previously experienced, and some of them have lingered for quite a while, and some of them came and went, and and it included a, a surgery and a couple of evaluations and a few other things going on, some health changes that I had to make for myself. And, and so, it, but in midst of all of that, it was an amazing 2019. And while it's not quite over yet, we, should, we can be doing some spiritual preparation for 2020. And so we're going to spend some time talking about being ready for 2020. It is so incredibly important to realize three things as we talk about entering into a new year. That number one, 2020 is coming whether you're ready for it or not. It's coming. It, it, you, there's, whether you are going to be prepared or not makes zero difference. The year, the new year is coming. And I'm going to encourage you to do something, or I'd rather not to do something. I talk about this from time to time. I do not do this. I stopped doing this about five years ago. I do not make any New Year's resolutions. Here's why. 96% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first month. And then it literally gets to 99.6% fail before six months. Last thing I want to do is set myself up to fail by saying things that we all know isn't true. Like there's memes that run around, right, that say, in 2020, the laundry is going to go from the, laundry, the dryer into the basket and, in, and folded right away. That's, I don't know about your house, but in my house, that's one of the most unrealistic 2020 New Year's resolutions that could possibly take place. Because Lord knows I hate folding laundry, so I don't do it. And I shared this in church a few weeks ago. Unless the basket's dropped at my feet and my wife just didn't even have to say anything. Drops the basket at my feet, then I know i got to fold some laundry. And, I, and until that happens, I'm not doing it. I don't like it. And so let's just be real. That's a New Year's resolution that makes no sense for anybody because this is not going to happen. And no, I'm not speaking death. I'm just speaking reality. It's just what it is. But this is what we do. We set New Year's resolutions every single year. How many of you, we're going to do a, a participation game. I need 100% participation right now, okay? If you don't, I will call you out. I don't usually do that, but I'm going to do it today. So if your hand does not lift at any one of these things I'm about to say, then I'm going to come to you and ask you why it's not up. So how many of y'all have made a New Year's resolution at some point in time in your life? Raise your hand if you have made a New Year's. Leah, why is your hand not up? I told you I wasn't playing, and because you're my daughter, it makes it even worse. Yeah, because that's, that's going to help you, listening to your older sister. All right, put your hand up if you have made a New Year's resolution at some point in time in your life. Now, put, keep your hand up. If you have failed at that New Year's resolution. All right, thank you for participating. I didn't want to have to call you all out, except to my child. Of course it would be. 
So, but 2020 is coming whether we like it or not. 2020 also has the ability to be so much greater than 2019. And whether you had an amazing 2019 like I did or your 2019 didn't live up to what you thought it would or it, it, it held a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, you have the ability to go into a new year. I think there is some prophetic power about 2020. And um, a couple of things that we're going to talk about as the year progresses and even a series that I am going to preach is, um, is in the, the power of 2020 vision. And not just, I mean, a lot, a lot of folks are wearing glasses these days. I have been blessed to not have to wear them this far in my life. I know my day is probably coming. But I've had 20-20 vision since I was a ch- young child. I actually was that person, that kid that when I went to get my eyes checked, I remember, I remember this day I was like 15 years old. I went to get my eyes checked and a doctor said, okay, read the lowest line you could read. And I squinted for a second, went, opened my eyes real wide, closed an eye, said, okay. And I read the copyright date. Because I could read the copyright date on the bottom of the eye chart. So I have been blessed with vision, 2020 vision. Now, it's not quite the same as it used to because my font used to be, when I started this church at Relevant Faith Church, my font on my screen was about a 12. Now it's a 14. So I know that my eyesight isn't as strong as it once was, but there is a spiritual and I believe a prophetic power in 2020 when we talk about vision and perfect vision, especially as it relates to our life. So that's going to be something that we get into in 2020. And so, but here's the thing I will share. The third thing I will share, I said you had to know three things. That number one, that 2020 is coming whether you want it to or not. It has the ability to be greater than 2019. But here's the thing, the lack of preparation for the year will absolutely result in everything being the same as it was this past year. It's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So if you prepare the same for 2020 as you did for 2019, then 2020 is going to look just like 2019. And for some of us, maybe that's fine. Maybe for others that you want to accomplish more. Maybe for others you want to to worship more. You want to glorify God more. You want to see God move in your life and through your life more than he did in 2019. And so there's this preparation process that needs to take place. In order to prepare, though, we need to only look in one location. Yes, you'll hear, you'll see a lot of self-help books and a lot of self-help quotes and things that say, oh, your best 2020 and all these things. You're going to see all these things over the next several days. But the only place to truly, truly prepare for 2020 is simply right here in the Word of God. And that's just the most important thing to have a realization. I, I was meditating this morning on the thought of why have, because I literally, I woke up this morning and once I cleared away the fog and realized, oh yeah, I got to be up, I said to myself, so why has 2019 been good? I was reading, I looked through, I was just looking through my message a little bit and said, I said that it was one of my, is a great year, but why has it been a great year? And then I did what is my custom on Sunday morning. As I opened up my Bible app, my YouVersion Bible app, because I like to read the verse of the day and see how it impacts my life or my week. And I saw a little thing up in the top that says Bible app activity. And I noticed that, and this is going to sound like bragging, and I don't say this to brag. There's a reason why 2019 was a good year for me, even in the midst of everything that I struggled through. 
I realized that I have opened my Bible app and looked through it and probably read the verse of the day or, or, uh, or a devotion of some kind for 71 straight days. I was like, wow, I haven't done anything for 71 straight days before except sleep. And then I looked at throughout the year, there were 34 perfect weeks where I had 34 weeks where I was in the Bible app every day of the week. And then the last, the last little stat that's on here, which is really cool, by the way. This is an awesome stat for you to measure how often are you truly in the Word. 335 days out of the year I have been in this app. It's exactly right. It's why I've been nicer. It's why I've had a good 2019, except the fact that I've had surgeries and I've had to deal with bronchitis three different times in 2019 and all the different things that I've struggled. I sent my daughter off to college in 2019 and all these things, some of them great, I mean, it's great things that have happened, but also that come with a lot of challenges. And I've realized the reason why I've made it through 2019 where I can stand at the end of the year and say, wow, what a great year, is simply because I have spent that time in God's work. And then I'm recalling back to some conversations that I had with my pastor in Baltimore before I ever ventured off into ministry. He told me this, and I'll never forget it, and I'll say it over and over and over. He said, Mike, he said, you've got to protect the call of God on your life with everything you have. Because the devil is coming after it. And the moment you step out in faith and start doing things for God that seemingly doesn't, don't make a lot of sense necessarily for you or even for the context of where you are, the devil's going to come after you even harder. He said, the only way to protect the call of God on your life is to be in the word every day. And so I've tried to take that to heart, and I think back on my life over the last, uh, my wife and I were just figuring this out. We're coming up on 20 years of serving God in ministry, not just being a believer, but serving God in ministry. January will be 20 years. I was that person. I gave my life to Christ in December of 1998. And then by January of 2019, I was already in serving in ministry somewhere. And so while 20 years of serving in ministry on a regular basis, I look back on all of that and say the times that I failed the biggest were the times that I had disconnected myself from God and through studying and through through devotion, not just, I've been studying to, to, for sermons for 20 years. I'm talking studying just to know him, studying just to experience his love and his grace, opening up the Bible app and reading the verse of the day that, that, that today says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And when I read a verse like that, I'm like, I am a child of God. And it just does something for me. It, it, it just, it does something to empower me to walk out that day. It does something to empower me to continue to live my life for him. And so here at Relevant Faith Church, for the next several months, we are going to help strategically set up each Sunday morning with a goal of experiencing a life-changing 2020. Because I don't want this to just be another year. And if, you, if anybody who knows me knows that I've, I've, in all my preaching over the last several years, I have never themed a message around a new year. I just, I just don't do that. I don't theme messages around holidays too often. Christmas I do from time to time. But I've not preached a New Year's, New You type message. 
And that's not even really what this is, but I want to lay out some things strategically to help make 2020 look a whole lot better than 2019. So let me lay out a little bit of what the next several weeks are going to look like before we get into the meat of what God has for us today. So today we're going to finish out a series that we have been in. This is the 14th week called The Everyday Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in fasting. That's going to be what we talk about today. And this is going to close out this Everyday Spirit series as we've ended the year on this. And then next Sunday, we're going to hit, we're going to hit the power of 2020 when I talk to you a little bit about what I believe it might be. Not just the year, but entering the year prayerfully with clarity and with vision. That's what we're going to talk about next Sunday, the first Sunday of 2020. And then we're going to launch a new series where we combine all that we're doing in fasting and all that we're doing in gaining clarity through vision, through 2020 vision, and we're going to talk about the dreams that God has given us. You know, whether they need to be dreamed again or whether they need to be dreamed for the first time or maybe they just need to be resurrected from the dead. But I believe that God wants to do something incredible in our lives as it relates to the dreams that he has already given us. And I don't necessarily mean big dreams for employment, although maybe it is that. I don't necessarily mean big dreams for ministry, although maybe it is include that as well. But just the dream that God has given you, something he's spoken to you before that you have either suppressed and pushed away because of life and issues or it's just something that you have had to wait on. Because let me tell you something, waiting on the Lord is not an easy thing to do, especially if you're anything like me and are impatient. I struggle with pa- I've struggled with patience from time to time, and ever since I preached that message a few weeks ago in this series about patience, I, I've, I feel like I've been doing a much better job at being patient. I still have my moments where I fail but I feel like I'm doing better than I did, and that's really the goal is to get better than we were. And so I'm, we're going to hopefully set you up for the 2020 will be the be, truly be your best year yet, not just a New Year's lip service or not just a, in resolutions or a themed out New Year, and this is what we feel like. Churches around the country today and next week are going to be preaching about how They feel like 2020, and you're going to see all kinds of crazy themes come out. This is what it's going to be like for our, and churches are no different. You know, churches will lay a a theme out for the year, right? Three or four months into the year, it'd be difficult to find that theme. Because churches are no different than people. Well, you know why that is? Because churches are filled with people. I I was talking to somebody the other day, like, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm in search for the perfect church. I was like, then do me a favor. They said, what's that? I said, don't walk in the doors. Because the day, the moment that the human being walks in the door, the church ceases to be perfect. Because why? It's filled with imperfect people. So if you're looking for the perfect church, let me help you out. It does not exist. Rather, pray and see where God would lead you to worship rather than what's perfect for you. And so... I feel like over the next several weeks as we talk about the things that I've just laid out that it's going to just be able to set us up for the best year that we could possibly have. So let's get to our text and our message for today, Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can open up to there or your Bible app or it'll be on the screen, whatever you choose. But Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verse number 7 through 13. This is going to be the launching point of our message today. And this is what the Bible says, starting in Mark chapter 1, 
verse number 7. John announced, and you've heard this in this series at some place before. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sins. Now this is John the Baptist speaking of the coming of Jesus. Verse 8, he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, so then he goes on in verse number 9 to tell the story. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the river, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Verse 12, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. That's our passage of Scripture for today. I'm going to give you a few things that you can take from there, and then we'll, get it. we'll talk a little bit about what this means for your life, closing out 2019, entering 2020. There's so much richness and so much power in this passage of Scripture, and so much for us to grab a hold of and honestly, so much for me to preach. But there's a few things that really jumped out of that passage of Scripture as I studied it. And the first one I want to give you, it's in your notes as well, is the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of like a recap and a launching, just so you know. Some of this is going to sound familiar, and some of it's not. Some of it's going to be newer since we've started this series. But the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. All the time. If ever you encounter anyone who talks of being filled with the Spirit, if ever you encounter anyone who talks of being led by the Spirit, if it leads them in a place that contradicts Scripture, then it's not the Holy Spirit, it's, it's them. Because the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. In Mark's short 16 chapters, he brings us the core of the entire gospel. He brings us what I, what I call a 2020 vision of the gospel, a clarity he said so many things, but in the midst of all the things that he said, I suggest that John always said one thing, and it was likely pretty much the same thing. Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, as he was referring to Jesus. This is the core of the gospel. Someone is coming soon that is greater than I am. This was the announcement of Jesus into the world and ministry. But the, to, to echo those same words, there is a day that is coming that someone is coming again soon who is greater than I am. Someone again is coming again soon who is greater than you are. And that is Jesus, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He is coming back, church. The Bible is very clear when it talks about the, the coming back, the, the second coming of Jesus. And so he's going to come back again. And in fact, in verse number 7 and 8, this is what John says as I, as I read it to you. Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The fact that Mark was even able to bring such clarity from his perspective, speaks actually more about John than it does Mark. Mark was able to 
see this ha- take place and watch this happen and, and be able to vocalize what he saw and what took place. But it speaks more of John than it does of Mark because Mark is able to write with clarity only because of what he heard from John. So it actually talks, I think, I think it speaks of John's ability to speak with clarity and what he was constantly saying. See, here's the challenge that we have in churches today and in our lives today is people are saying so many different things. It's hard to have clarity on what is the right thing. What is the biblical thing? What is this gospel? Some people have added so much to it or they've taken away from it in such a way that it just makes it so difficult for us to share with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, or even any opportunities that we have to speak in front of crowds. But John was so focused on the message that those who experienced John no doubt understood the gospel message, that Jesus was coming, this man is coming who's greater than I am. That was his message. And so we live in this age where a premium is being put on a great communicator of the gospel. People choose churches based on how the person preaches or how good a communicator he is when it comes to the gospel, he or she is when it comes to the gospel. And since we live in this age, it's important to understand what is the most important thing when it comes to the gospel and speaking it and preaching it and living it. And the key is not style points for the messenger. The key is not the fact that he dresses nice or that she looks presentable. The key is not the flashy screens and what might be up there, nor is the key all the huge illustrations that different people use from from physical ones to to quotes to the videos to spoken words and all the things they use. All these things are great to really hone in on who is the presence of the presence of people and the diversity that they learn from some people are object learners and like to see things and so seeing and illustrations great others are artistic in the 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 words of a spoken word poet really ring in their hearts and these are all great things but the reality is the most important thing is the focus how focused they are on the message the gospel of Jesus Christ that he is the son of God, that he is perfect, that he died, that he raised from the grave, and that he is coming again. That is the gospel message. And how focused we are on that message is going to be how our 2020 turns out. Because if you're focused on that message for yourself, then when hell comes at your doorstep, you'll be able to look at Satan and say, no, 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 no. Let me tell you where your place is, partner. Underneath my feet. That's where you belong. Because that's what the Bible says, that the devil belongs under our foot. Matter of fact, he says, you will trample on the heads of the scorpions, he told. And so, as long as we have this focus on the message being the message, this John the Baptist, someone is coming who is greater than I, then we know that we can enter into a new year with a great focus. Yet the problem is, So many things have happened or continue to happen that tend to draw our focus away from that. That's why what we're going to talk about here shortly is of great importance. I look at it like this personally. I look at it like this and say I'm an average preacher, but I have a very above average message. 
And it's not because I'm any good, but it's because the one whom I spend my time with is the one who speaks for me. That's the only reason anybody, if anybody says, Pastor Mike, that was such a great message, you often hear my response saying, wow, thank you so much for that encouragement, but you should praise God because I promise you I am not that good. He has a habit of making me look a whole lot better than I actually am. And that's, that's humility. It started out as my form of trying to be humble because sometimes that word used to be like, they like me. They really like me. And I used to have to find my identity in the fact that y'all liked my preaching. Now I'm just like, this is the message. If you love it, fantastic. If you don't love it, eh, don't shoot the messenger. So let me switch gears for just a question and put a question to you, a couple of questions. If your pastor were to spend the next year at your side, every day of the year, at the end of the year, how would I summarize your message? I know nobody wants a pastor living with them. Because let me tell you something. I learned something this weekend. In an unlikely position, I was sitting at Peoria High School, refereeing a basketball tournament, a sophomore basketball tournament. I was sitting in the room with the nephew of a pastor whom I dearly love and respect, and I didn't realize that, that we were, had that in common, that person, and then another believer who serves on staff, at his, at, serves at his church in security. And I was like, wow, I'm surrounded by a couple of believers. And we started having some conversations, which was really cool. And then, then the one thing, he's a retired county police officer. And so the one thing I found to be very interesting is this. Whenever you meet somebody, or whenever somebody introduces me or introduces someone to someone, there's only two professions that they announce. They'll introduce you as, oh, this is my friend. His name was Daryl. This is my friend Daryl. He's a cop. And you tend to start acting a certain type of way. Oh, there's a cop here. Let me straighten up. As if there's something wrong with me. It's the same thing every one of us do, whether we're breaking the law or not. When a cop pulls up behind us, what do we do? Two hands on a wheel at 10 and 2. Make sure my phone is nowhere in sight. Eyes forward. Blinkers are like 500 feet before I need to make a turn. It's what we do. We become paranoid because there's a cop behind us. Right? So when you introduce yourself, when people get introduced, when friends introduce primarily, not 100% of the time, but oftentimes, they say, oh, this is my friend Daryl. He's a cop. Or, this is my friend Mike. He's a pastor. Don't nobody walk around saying, oh, this is my friend Dave. He's, he's a plumber. Don't nobody introduce a plumber. But they say cop or they say pastor. Why? Because immediately they're like, oh, got to behave. My favorite people are the ones who aren't believers that will drop the F-bomb around me even if they know that I'm a pastor. Do you know why they're my favorite people? Because they're real. I'm not trying to be around fake folks. And I'm not trying to be fake myself. But for whatever reason, this is what we do. This is my friend Mike. He's a pastor. You know how many times they introduced me that way? I'm like, no. This is your friend Mike. He's just your friend Mike. Just because I'm a pastor shouldn't change anything about the, the, the conversation that's about to take place. But this is what we do. So here's the reason why. Because it's this idea that if I spent a year alongside of you, what would your message look like? 
I don't even want to think about that question for myself if you spent a year alongside of me. Would, 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 I, would I be able to summarize your message with a sentence? And what would that sentence be? Or would my summarization of your year be just a noise? Might it be like a... Or maybe a, a, a joyful noise because, wow, I'm not the only one who screwed up. So I think about these things and I think about what it takes through this passage of Scripture and John's revelation of Jesus coming and understanding that the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit is living within me, then guess where I ought to point? To Jesus. My words should point to Jesus. My actions should point to Jesus. My message should be very clear that Jesus is the Lord of my life and that I'm going to live it out a certain way. And no, I'm not going to be perfect. And yeah, I'm going to fail and I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to hurt people, upset people. But here's the thing. I'm not going to say, oh, well, it is, this is who I am and you've got to deal with it. That's a common response from folks. Mine's going to be more like, man, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I wasn't intending to do that, but I'm really sorry that I hurt you. Notice I didn't say I'm really sorry if I hurt you. Because, y'all, that ain't an apology. When you apologize, you take ownership of it. Whether right or wrong makes no difference. Because here's the, here's the reality. You have to want the relationship more than you want to be right. The relationship to be right more than you want to be right. And I'm guessing, just based on pure statistics, that two-thirds or more of this room loves to be right. And can't stand to be wrong. It's just truth. You've got a pastor who loves to be right. Because i got a pastor's wife who's right more often. Just ask her. But the reality is, in our lives, the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus, which means our life should always point to Jesus. So the sentence should be what God said about Jesus, in just a few moments we'll talk about that, and here it is. The second thing I want you to get out of this message this morning from this passage of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit personally, i got to take this off, I'm sweating. It's too hot for a jacket. It's like spring outside. Number two, the Holy Spirit personalizes the Word of God. This isn't just a generalized thing. This is a personalized word. Why is it personalized? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said in Malachi chapter 3, I am God and I do not change. So because of that, while the gospel, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not from the church in Corinth, but and while that it's not addressed to me, but it is for me every day. And so the Holy Spirit personalizes the word of God. Look at verse number 9 through 11. The Bible says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee. John baptized him in the Jordan River, and Jesus came up out of the, river, out of the water. He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, catch this, this is where the power is in this thing. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. That's the message. If, my, if, if, if the Holy Spirit points to everything to Jesus and my life should point to Jesus, then at some point in time in my life, i got to hear from heaven, you are my dearly loved son, you are my dearly loved daughter, in whom you bring me great joy. 
I say that to my children. Sometimes it's because they bring me great joy. Sometimes it's because I'm speaking things that aren't that as though they are. But that's what we want to hear. Our children long to hear that from us. I shaped my entire early 20s of my life after the idea to hear, I am proud of you, son. I'd made decisions and choices that altered my life for the, for, for, from the time I graduated high school until till my mid-20s that would go after that one thought, I am proud of you, son. We all long to hear that from our father. Unfortunately, some of us have not heard that from our earthly fathers, but let me help you out. There is a father in heaven who's waiting to say that to you. And he's not waiting for you to act a certain way. He's waiting for you to listen to him. He's waiting for you to put yourself in a posture where you can actually hear from him. Think about Jesus' baptism. John baptized him with water, but the Father baptized him with the Holy Spirit. And when he was baptized with his Holy Spirit, he saw heaven being torn open. The word in the original language literally means split apart and spread it with such vastness and such speed that he could see all of heaven. And from that, what did he say? He saw the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then a voice. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you hearing every day in your life? Is it the voice of your father who said you weren't good enough? Is it the voice of your spouse that said, I no longer love you? Is it the voice of, a, of, of somebody in your life who hurt you or who did something to you that you did not deserve? Is it the voice of a coach who did nothing but bark and yell orders but never really backed it up with encouragement? Whose voice are you listening to? Because I'm telling you, whoever's voice you are listening to moving into a new year is going to be what determines that year. It just is what it is. I remember year after year after year, I was listening to the voice of the person that kept saying I was not good enough. So everything I said and everything I did had to go towards proving that I, in fact, was good enough. And then all of a sudden, I, I went through this process of being healed from some hurts and some pains. And now, you know what? I don't hear the voice of someone saying you're not good enough. I hear the voice of my father saying, well done. I hear the voice of my father saying you are the head and not the tail. I hear the voice of the Father saying, you, I was cre you were created in my image, fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the voice that I hear today. So more often than not, when someone comes and tells me, man, you suck, I'm like, okay. I don't go home and put my head down and cry and say, oh my gosh, I'm really bad. Why? Because I've turned a corner and now I hear the Father's voice and not the voice of someone else trying to tell me. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus saw the heavens torn apart and watched the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And then a voice, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Those are the words the Father speaks over his children. You are my dearly loved son. You're my dearly loved daughter, and you bring me great joy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about heaven being torn apart, and this manifestation of the Spirit of God poured out. You know, entire branches of the church 
believe definitively and exclusively the only and true sign of that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is, is, must be that you are speaking in tongues and other languages. And while I will not diminish the value of tongues as a spiritual language, because I believe it is for everyone, and I believe that it was, in Acts, it was the initial evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, yet there was no tongues. What was it followed by? A voice. You are my son, and you I am pleased. His outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can speak in some other lung or so that some other tongue or so you can prophesy. It's so that you can know that he loves you. It's so that you can know that he is pouring out his spirit on you. Why? Because he has great things in store for you. But you've got to position yourself to be able to receive those things. Because we disqualify ourselves based on our past, based on our decisions, based on what someone else has said about us. But let me tell you something. God does not choose people that are already qualified, that look all dignified. No, 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 no. He chooses those that, that, that will shame those that are qualified. He chooses someone and then qualifies them himself. Because there's no method of qualification that man has created that suggests that you should be doing what you should be doing. There's no method of qualification that suggests I should be standing up here preaching the gospel. Not with my life, not with my upbringing, not with my deficiencies, not with my sin, not with my problems. But nobody gets to determine these things except him. And that's when he, that's the important part, the most important thing of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that. Is to know that you are loved. To know that you are cared for. To know that you bring the Father in heaven great joy. And so staying really close to this text this morning, I want to open your minds to something you may have seen or not seen or learned or not learned. And it wasn't, it's not necessarily any, it's nothing, anything new. Because upon my search of this, I found that, man, it's been preached a lot. Is this Holy Spirit baptism, there's an inward perception of these words from the Father, spoken, I believe, as a gift. He personalized it for Jesus just the same as he personalizes it for you when he says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. It's an individual gift. It's personalized for you just as it was for Jesus. And when these words move from being a concept on a page to a truth experience, that is when you know that you have truly experienced the Holy Spirit baptism. It's not about how many tongues you speak in or how much prophecy you give or how much wisdom or knowledge you have or how much discernment you have. Those are all valid and very important for the church today, but they are not the defining moment. The defining moment is when the words of the Father who said, you are my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, when those go from the concept on the page to a truth experience, that's when you know you truly experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what it's about. And so number three, we're going to get to the rest of this message right here. So the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit personalizes the word of God. And then finally, the Holy Spirit deepens faith through fasting. I mentioned several different times that there has to be a posture that we take in order to know these things about God and about ourselves. That posture unfortunately, is not able to be achieved just from day to day to day living and hoping 
and praying and trusting that God is doing it. There is a necessary sacrifice that we offer. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's one of those things we were talking about in worship when you can stand in the presence of God and declare that he is holy even though life for you doesn't seem like a holy God is looking out for you. That's a moment. That is one of those defining sacrificing moments. But look at verse 12 and 13. After this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after Jesus was filled with the Spirit and heard the words of the Father say, you are my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy, this is what then happens. The same Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. He went on a 40-day fast. He did not eat for 40 days. The second he hears from the Father that he's loved, he goes right into the heart. Get this. Now, for those of you deeper thinkers and theologians in the room who like to study the word, let me give you something really powerful to study. The Holy Spirit sends Jesus straight into the heart of the place that was formerly known as Eden, now known as the wilderness. That's something for you to chew on and study. There's so much depth in that that's crazy. So if you study scripture, that's a great, great place to to unpack some of the word. But the text points out a few details. Number one, the presence of Satan. Number two, the presence of wild animals. And number three, the presence of angels. Notice, Notice what the text points out. There's the presence of Satan, the presence of wild animals, and the presence of angels. Why is that important? Because here's the reality to everything, especially fasting. As, as we, take it, we enter this journey in 2020 with prayer and with fasting, one of the things that is going to happen quite often is you will be tempted to eat something different. We're going we're gonna to enter into prayer and fasting with a 21-day Daniel fast, which I'll explain more about that later on. But this idea of fasting means I am sacrificing, I am suppressing my flesh and choosing something that God has ordained and laid out for me. And if you've ever questioned whether or not you should fast or whether you're called to fast, we'll answer that question here in just a couple minutes. But Eden was a place of feasting. If you look and study what it, what it was in the very beginning, it was, a, it was this lush ground where you could feast on anything and everything except what God told Adam and Eve to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they could have anything they wanted. And if you studied it in its context, there was everything that they wanted they had access to. Yet it would be turned into a place of wilderness, a place of fasting, I believe that it is, this fasting is, a, is the divine way back to feasting in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus used the parable of the feast when he said, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come to my table because he had this beautiful spread and feast for them to, to eat of. But we've oftentimes come to the table and there's just scraps left for us. I believe that fasting, I do, I believe wholeheartedly that fasting is a divine way back to the feasting in the kingdom of God. And so, if fasting is divinely appointed, 
and it means to sustain the, it's necessary to sustain the fullness of life in the Holy Spirit while we're living in the, in the wilderness. What if that's the truth? What if fasting is divinely appointed, it is the divinely appointed means to sustain the fullness of life in the Holy Spirit while living in the wilderness? Because that's where we live, y'all. We live in the wilderness. We don't live in the plush garden of Eden. Just look around. Look at the famine in this world. Look at the struggle and needs of our own homes and our own lives, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. We don't live in Eden. We live in the wilderness. Fasting is not one of those mandates in Scripture related only to the abstinence of food. In fact, it's about subduing your flesh. It's about submission to the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us, can convict us. We say that. I speak that. I pray that week after week. But here's the truth. The only way that he leads is to, he only leads those who want to follow. If you choose and don't want to follow the Lord, then he's not leading you anywhere. You're leading yourself. He only leads those who want to follow them. He waits for you to submit to that because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman never pushing or forcing his way upon you. He waits for you to submit to that. He only guides those who can admit that they don't know the way. When we pray that way, when we pray, Holy Spirit, lead us, Holy Spirit, guide us, he's only going to guide those who admit, I don't know the way. Let me talk to the men in the room for a moment. How often are we willing to go and ask somebody for directions when we don't know the way? I'll figure it out. Somehow we have this internal GPS map connected directly to where we're going, and we'll figure it out. Even if it takes 14 more hours and 12 arguments with our wife, we're going to figure it out. It's what we do. That's what men do. Let me, can I help you out real quick? That's not being led by the Spirit. The only way we're guided is if we admit, hey, I don't know where I'm going. And that's a difficult thing to admit. And he only convicts those who realize that they are sinners. You can't be convicted if you don't even realize that you're in the wrong. So to answer the question, worship team, you can come and get set because I'm about to wrap up this message right here. As they are making their way up front. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 16 through 18 is where we're going to go to. To talk about and answer a question that I had posed. As are we called to fasting and are we called to this life? And this is what the Bible says. We're going to actually go to verse number 16, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. He answers the question of are we called to fast in the very beginning of this verse. And when you fast. That's what he said. And when you fast. He didn't say if you choose to fast. He didn't say, well, you know what? If you realize this is valuable for your life and you choose to do it, then let me give you out some instructions. He says, and when you fast. So you have to understand that in that time period, prayer, fasting were lifestyles. They weren't just things that they did. They were absolute lifestyles. Commands. 
He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. It's interesting. Jesus is saying, when you fast, don't look all miserable. I, I've, I have fasted for my entire walk with Christ. I have fasted in some way, shape, or form. And I have fasted with people that have been like, oh, this is killing me. Oh. And, it's because, and they do it because they need attention. And I, and I try to encourage them. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. You know, I used to submit to, and there's, there, you need to have some wisdom in this, in fasting, but I used to submit to the idea, oh, well, you've got some health issues, don't fast. Yeah, I don't believe that. You want to know why I don't believe that? Because my God and my Savior, Jesus, is much, much bigger than my health issues. And I used to think that about my child, my, 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 my 18-year-old daughter. I used to think, no, 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 she shouldn't fast. She's got type 1 diabetes. If she fasts, it's going to mess with her. No, she might just mess around and fast and God heal her. So I'm past all that. If you you got to have some wisdom, there's no doubt. But there is no way that you can be created by the Father in His image, called to fast, and say, well, I can't because of this. He will protect you through that. No doubt. I believe that 110%. So He said, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Try to look miserable and disheveled. Matter of fact, He says, but when you fast, you notice he said it again, but when you fast, comb your hair. Wash your face. Very practical things to do. Wash your hair, comb your hair and wash your face. Get cleaned up. Be presentable. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. There's a couple things I want to point out really quickly here. When he said to them that the hypocrites try to look miserable and disheveled, he says, I tell you the truth, that, there, that that is the only reward they will ever get. The only reward they will ever receive is the, admin, the admiration of people who've watched them fast. You know what that tells me? That tells me that if you're a hypocrite, your reward is very minimal. But if you fast in the right way, who does he have a reward for you? That tells me there is a reward for fasting. Usually, when my, with my children, if I want them to do something, I offer them some kind of reward. Or when somebody's missing a dog and they plaster papers all over every telephone pole and they offer a reward. If there's cash involved, hold on a minute. Let me find that dog. I'm going to drive around looking for that dog, if, especially if it's somebody that wants a dog and they're going to offer me 500 bucks to find that dog. I'm searching for that dog. Might even try to find one at the pound and diet to make it look like. No, I'm just playing. But when there's a reward, we're so much more inclined to do something. Fasting is one of those things. God has rewards for you for fasting. He says, and what the Father knows you do in private, He sees everything and will reward you. Here's what's interesting about that. What you do in private will receive a public reward. I, will, I actually am. I plan on saying it again. I'm glad you asked me to because I'm going to do it. 
What you do in private will receive a public reward. When you fast in private, you worship in private, and your private life, like I said, if I walked with you for the next year, what would be the sentence to summarize your walk? If that sentence is constructed with some grace and some faith and some, wow, this person is truly trying to live for the Lord, guess what you're going to experience publicly? Rewards. It's 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 the gospel. It's what he said. He laid it out that way. He said, and what you do in private, your father sees anyway, so he's going to reward you publicly. That's the point of fasting. Fasting will bring you spiritual insight and wisdom. Anybody ever just say, man, I just wish I knew what to do? Fasting will bring that to you. Insight and wisdom. It starves the flesh. Scientifically, here we go. You ready for this? Scientifically, there are some benefits to fasting. You ready for this? This is just a quick little study. It helps you with aging. Woo, hold on. If I fast, I'll age slower? Come on, I like that. I like that. I like to be able to look young, feel young. It gives you a better attitude. Fasting will give you a better attitude. It enables better resistance to disease. Woo, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of sickness going around right now. You tell me fasting can help build up a resistance to that? Yes, this is all scientific evidence. It helps you sleep better. How many of y'all would like to sleep better at night? Helps you have clearer skin. Improves your senses. Gives you more energy and clarity. Wait a minute, you're telling me that if by not eating certain foods, I'm going to have more energy? Yes. Yes, living proof, I've got it. This is the, this is, that's the, that's some of the, the, the earthly and worldly rewards. And to get a good picture of fasting, we need to look at two biblical examples. Daniel, for three weeks. This is where we get the Daniel fast from. You can read, Dan, you can read, you can read about it. For three weeks, in a three-week period, Daniel refrained from eating the luxurious royal food that the king had offered him. And instead, he made this covenant with God that he would eat only vegetables, only fruits, only nuts, only grains. He would avoid meat. Yeah, steak, chicken, all meat. He would avoid all meat, all dairy. He would avoid all those things. And he would eat only fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains. And those things derived from them. And here's what the Bible says about Daniel. Daniel received a heightened spiritual insight from his fast. That phrase heightened literally means a mountaintop experience of insight. Heightened means a mountaintop. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be in a posture with God where I have this mountaintop experience of spiritual insight. Can only make for a good beginning to a year. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that next week because that's what we're embarking on as a Daniel fast. If you want more information on that, you can go to our website. This afternoon, that page will be up for you to search and look through. There are recipes on that page, but there are also links to other places. And you'll be able to get as much information as you want about it. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as well. The other fast I want to look at is Jesus' fast. Before his earthly ministry, he went on a 40-day fasting journey. When he completed his fast, his flesh had been subdued and the Holy Spirit in him was stronger than ever before. And he would go around doing miracles and fulfilling the call of God on his life. So why are we hesitant to fast? 
I believe fasting, listen to this very carefully. This is going to sound, this might be a little convicting for some of us. It was for me. I believe fasting is related to our spiritual appetite. And that our hunger for God must outweigh our hunger for food. We don't fast because we're not hungry enough for God. Just is what it is. John Piper said this. This might be an ouch. The absence of fasting in our lives is the measure of contentment with the absence of Christ in our lives. Fasting is one of these things that draws us so much closer to God. 